name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? co-presenter we talk a little bit about your past so just tell the listeners work-related where past. you come from yes your work-related past I'm going to um, stress that yeah I worked um, for I've been here for six years now and I worked for eight years before that at the BBC uh, commercial arm of the BBC um, doing compliance so broadly similar work and before that all kinds of jobs including going way back ice cream factory so all all roles linked heavily into a film classification a bit like a wage world i've got a large collection of hairnets and name badges there we go um and compliance which not everybody will be familiar with the word it's basically tv channels bbc one and Absolutely. uk gold whoever yeah. for me it would have been uk gold and channels like that so we would make sure that they were suitable for the time slot that they went out in great well i, I should say that graham and i share an office together and uh, <laughs> there's not much we don't know about each other. And to that end, look, what I've got you in sort of here. Oh, yeah. I have some Tesco coconut macaroons. Well, no, other, other supplies are available. Other supplies are available, but they are your favourites. I'm going to put them there. Because I know that. And that's your present. But only after delivering a successful podcast. Don't read it. You're reaching out for them then. Yeah, even mine. The theme for this edition of the podcast from the BBFC is 15. We're going to talk about this one category. It's quite a big category, and I think it's a category that's changed a little bit. The uh, appearance of 12 and 12A has impacted on it, and we will go through that in some detail a little bit later. And this year has been quite a big year for 15, one way and another. Also coming up a bit later, I'm going to announce the winners of our first competition. And we're going to have a new competition, so your opportunity to win a goodie bag and a centenary gift from the BBFC. But as always, we're going to start with the news roundup. And we start with a really sad story, and a shocking story actually, which is the death of the British film director Tony Scott. Um, as you would have read in the news, as widely reported, uh, he was seen jumping from a bridge in Los Angeles, which just makes the whole thing much more difficult for the family to deal with the death in the, such circumstances. And it was a terrible story. Um, uh, Graham, I was thinking back at Tony Scott's career. He was a man, I would I'd describe him, into, we see lots of directors worked, of course, in this building all the time. I would say Tony Scott was a bankable director. He's the guy who delivered the big money thrillers and he was very reliable at that, wasn't he? Absolutely, that sort of act, the action thriller, kind of, you look at Unstoppable and Man on Fire films like that, where you very much knew when you were watching a Tony Scott film. So I think there was a real style that he had there across the various genres that he did. And uh, from a classification point of view, a lot of the films very straightforward, the Alien kind of 15 level, most of them. Um, Top Gun, perhaps one of his famous films. But from, from our point of view, the film that you just mentioned there is the one that did take some uh, discussion within this building, and that was Man on Fire. Mm. Uh, people might remember it, uh, that it was quite a violent film. It was set in Mexico, and it was about a kidnapped little girl who was kidnapped and then murdered. And... I hate using the word moral because it means lots of different things to different people, but it is true to say that within our guidelines we do talk about moral stories, particularly at junior categories. Once you get to the adult level, it doesn't matter so much which direction you want to take a story in. But at, even at 15, a story where instead of in response to a murder going down the process of the judiciary, you know, being seen from a police point of view or the, or the military even, 
this film was about fairly bloody revenge. Mm. That was the route they went down, and there was a lot of emphasis on that. I can remember one or two of the instances <laughs> in that <laughs> fire, which scene, yeah. were pretty nasty. And that meant this film, which perhaps in terms of its detail may have looked like a 15, which is today's category discussion, mm. that film went at 18 mm. because of that film, didn't it? So that's right. Uh, similar uh, to the first Taken, actually, uh, with Liam Neeson, where uh, I think theatrically that was a 15, and that went to 18, the extended harbour cut. On yeah. video, uh, brilliantly titled, and um, yeah, absolutely. That the, the kind of sadism, if you want to call it that, uh, um, the way that this is perhaps a little bit more of a focus on uh, the infliction of pain and sort of helpless victims, however bad they've been up to that point, being tortured by he was a, the person who's effectively the hero. So um, I think a, a little bit of a higher level of a focus on violence and sadism than you were getting, say, in episode of Twenty Four. Yeah. Um, in terms of notable films since our last podcast, I'm going to mention a Dread 3D. So this is uh, the long-awaited. It is long-awaited. I, I think. What's it? Eight fans. Ninety-five. Ninety-five. Uh, Judge Dredd. So this is Dredd based on the comic strip um, I Am The Law character, a post-apocalyptic America, I think, in the comic strip. Is that it? And the judges wander around it. Um, Brutally I'm enforcing sure justice. Is it not America? It's post-apocalyptic landscape of one description yeah, or another. Um, I'm going to mention it because uh, with all these films, at, uh, you know, they come in to us and, and we start to read. It doesn't influence us, but you do notice the chatter on the forums and in, in some websites, you know, what certificates it's going to get. And this has gone 18. It's gone 18 because it contains frequent, strong, bloody violence and gore. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but there's a brief moment of sexual violence um, and there are there is a focus on the infliction of pain and injury uh, through the film, hence it gets its 18, which I suppose leaves the 15 to 17 year olds thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm not going to be able to see it in the cinema and it leaves the 18 plus saying, thank goodness they didn't like that film about it. And Absolutely. Of course, we just deal with it on its merits. And it, it is America. It is America. Yeah. Look at that. See, I know more about films than you do. outrageous, isn't I it? Thought I thought I used to read the comics. So I thought I was sorry, more I film literate than you were. I always suspected that you're not. Uh, I think I am. So I'm just going to mention one other film, uh, notable films, and this is called Barbarian Sound Studio. It featured at Fright Fest. I'll never say very much about this film, uh, except to say that if you are interested in film classification, and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you are, this I is am. a film... You are. I know you are. You're interested in it. This is a film that's worth seeing from that perspective. It's an unusual film, and uh, I think when you're watching it, try and put yourself in our shoes and think, how do I place this film, and what are the reasons I place it? Two other bits of news before we go on. Uh, we have officially handed over video games to Peggy, the pan-European gaming information. I think, is that correct? Have I got that acronym right? <laughs> I think so. And um, okay, that's the news uh, since our last podcast in terms of uh, what's affecting film classification. Now, our interview is with an organisation that shares a building with us here in Soho Square. It's called the Industry Trust. It promotes awareness of copyright, and most relevant to us, of course, is film piracy. Well, earlier I caught up with Katie Carter, who's the Trust's marketing manager. I first of all asked her to explain exactly what the trust role is. The Industry Trust for IP Awareness, uh, we're a consumer education body. We were set up um, to represent the film, TV and video industries. We have about 40 members, just over, 
Um, most of the exhibitors, uh, all of the distributors, uh, retailers who sell all of the product, and lots of industry bodies, including the BBFC. Um, what we were set up to do is, is promote copyright. Um, we are trying to get people to understand the value of creative content. Um, what we try to show audiences is the importance of them choosing um, official services or, or accessing services um, for authorised films, uh, we like to call them. Um, there's a huge array of official services cropping up, online and offline. What we try to do is show people what these services are and how easy it is for them to access it. Um, we're not about finger-wagging, we're not about telling people what to do, what not to do, but what we're trying to do is inspire audiences to choose to pay for content and to help support our industry. Um, you would see us around the place. Um, we've got a lot of communications campaigns running. Um, the biggest thing that we do is we've got cinema trailers running in all UK cinemas uh, across the whole of the country for most of the year. Um, we've recently partnered with a couple of very incredibly brilliant British films, The Sweeney, which is out on the 12th of September, um, and also Keith Lemon, The Film, which we're very excited about. Um, and we've also got outdoor spaces, which I'll come to talk about a little bit later. We've got some famous faces in these outdoor poster spaces. Um, and we've got lots of uh, online bits and pieces happening, uh, some that are launching very soon, which I hope to tell you about a little bit later on. Now, at the BBFC, we've talked in the past on this podcast about going out to schools and, uh, and colleges, and I do a bit of that myself. I understand that that's also a key part of your education remit. It is. We work with a number of uh, education partners um, who are well-versed in delivering these wonderful campaigns. Um, we work with, I think there's about six or seven of them. The, the, the youngest one that we do at the moment is called Pop for Schools, and we're launching in September. And because it's for primary schools, what it is is getting children making films. Um, and so we've got these wonderful how-to videos which were made by First Light, how to do a storyboard, how to capture sound, um, which I know you probably <laughs> at the moment. Well, yeah, we're trying to. <laughs> I'll let you know when this goes out, if we've captured it or not. Um, we work with Film Club, who are an after-school film-watching uh, company, um, and what we do is we create materials for children to role-play careers in film, which is very exciting for them, so they're just sat watching a film and not actually making um, we work with CineClub, um, and what we do with CineClub is we task them to make their own pro-copyright trailers, and we get some great entries from those guys. Um, film education is something similar, but a bit more heavyweight, curriculum-based resource, examinable, um, really robust for teachers to get their teeth into and use it for coursework. Um, and what that is, is, is tasking children from aged 11 to 19 to create an advertising campaign. Um, and that's to respect the film industry and to encourage people to use above-board services for accessing their film and television content. Um, the final partnership that we do is for a little bit older than schools, it's university students, and we work with um, YCN, the Youth Creative Network, and um, some of the, the creative entries that we get from that particular brief are so incredible that they inform what we do in the industry trusts remit, you know, outside of the education stuff that we do, so... Very good. So some of the basics then, Katie, how do people know when they're watching something that's not authorised? I think is the word you used. Authorised. Um, we have a wonderful website uh, called findanyfilm.com and 
this has been touted as the Google search engine for film and we can guarantee that every film in there is from an above board source um, and it's online and offline so however you choose to watch your film whether it's at the cinema, whether it's Blu-ray, whether it's DVD if you prefer to watch it online, whether you want to rent it, whether you want to buy it you will find about 36,000 films on this database and it's an invaluable resource for us it's about making it really easy for people to do the right thing and um, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there about what sites are, are, are bona fide and which ones aren't. And now, yeah, you're working with some celebrities. That's what we need on this podcast is some celebrities. And we've got you, Katie, which is great. It's a really <laughs> good start. Um, but you, who have you got working for you? We've had some incredible faces associated with our campaign. Our most recent one we're very excited about. He's a grime artist called Bridge 32. Um, we've had Keith Lemon, who was a character. We've had most of the Saturdays um, feature on our outdoor posters, most of Hollyoaks cast uh, members. We've had some Hollywood royalty, or rather British film royalty, Ray and Jamie Winston, Adam Deacon, the cast of Ill Manners. We've had some incredible comedians. We've also had John Hurt. And more recently, Michael Sheen, who's been in Harry Potter and Twilight, so we were really pleased to hear him. Um, But importantly, we also work with some really great channels. So we work with Xbox, Kiss FM, Total Film, and that's how we get our messaging out to the young people to communicate um, how important it is to support our industry. I guess it's crucial. Well, a lot of the celebrities, basically, their investment is in in legitimacy, if you like, isn't it? They're not being paid if everyone's buying it down the pub. Well, there is that. Um, But also it takes many people to make a film. It's not a um, a one-man show making films. There's hundreds of really talented, hard-working people that work very long hours to bring you the film and TV that you love. And a lot of our celebrities are really keen to to kind of big up these hidden heroes, these backstage stars who who help uh, bring Mm. film to life. That's a really good point, actually. In my job uh, in my life down the pub um, you do hear all sorts of excuses and obviously in my particular position I do pull people up and they start offering me well I can get any film you want and uh, they often say well Nicole Kidman's rich enough you know why should I pay any more perhaps not thinking about the carpenter on set and the technician and the people who work a few miles up the road here in North London and the big film lots whose livelihood is based on people paying to see the film in a cinema and buying the DVD. It's a really good point. There are hundreds and thousands of people that work in the film industry and they're not always the people that are in front of the camera. They're just normal people like you and I who are behind the camera or in offices like we are. Um, I think there's 150,000 people directly employed by film, TV and video industries but then there's this massive, huge footprint of people who are associated with it all the way down the chain. So the guy who drives the vans for HMV and you know all these people are affected... I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that film, not only have we got this amazing film, TV and video industry that we should be really proud of, you know, just like we were with the Olympics and all of our stars there, but it, it, it brings a lot to our shores. The, the BFI have a statistical yearbook and it shows that £3.3 billion pounds were contributed by our industry to the UK GDP, so that's hospitals, mm, that's, that's roads. Yeah. I mean, it's just so important and people, people sometimes forget that. Yeah, great point. How can people get involved with your work? Our um, our most recent campaign has just launched, actually. Um, We're rather proud at the Industry Trust that we are going social. Um, We've got a copyright campaign that's launched on uh, Facebook. Um, It's a very exciting competition. It's photo-led. It's based on moments worth paying for. It's taking it into this social arena. It's called Reaction Replay. Um, um, what it is is this six-week competition to win a trip to New York City um, for you and three of your mates. 
Um, it's fronted by Rich 3-2, and he shared his most favourite film moments worth paying for. Um, we're working with an agency called Liberty, who are socially responsible, which means that they take young people, they train them up. Um, we also get a really authentic campaign because they, it's road-tested with these young people first. And um, what they've um, instructed us to do is, is ask people to submit their reaction replay to their favourite film moments. So whatever your favourite film is, it's how it made you feel. You take a picture of your reaction to this, you upload it, we think it's going to be incredible, and um, then you get, get, you get your friends to vote on it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and then you can win. I'm quite excited about it. Can I enter this? I'm sure you're able to enter. My cat and my producer's quite excited about going to um, New York as well. We're going to get our iPhones out. I don't know what the reaction shot's going to be. Casey, um, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, it's really important for the industry, and we're all a part of the industry one way or another ourselves. Um, but it's also, I think, um, well, if you enjoy film, and lots of us around here love it, it's an important part of loving films to make sure the industry is protected for the future, isn't it? It is. Um, films are valuable, and they give you these invaluable experiences for your life. And what we're trying to do is inspire people to support our industry and to show that ultimately film has a value, that it is worth paying for, and, and to inspire advocacy for support for the UK um, film, TV and video industries. Thank you. Katie Carter from the Industry Trust, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Katie Carter from the Industry Trust talking to me earlier. So that website that Katie referred to, findanyfilm.com, really works. Where you put in the film and it comes up with a list of the places where you can buy it, you can stream it, you can download it, you can own it online. Uh, instantly then you can go to all of those legitimate operators. There is no excuse anymore for going off to other websites. So a really useful website and it was great to speak to Katie there. All right, take us round. Bring it down in five, four, three, two, one. Prometheus has landed. Right, let's move on to our main subject this week. Graham Hill and I are going to discuss 15. The first thing I suppose to say about 15, Graham, is it is a mandatory uh, classification mm. uh, category, i.e. no one younger than 15 may see a 15 film in a cinema. No one younger than 15 may rent or buy a 15 rated video work. Um, let's talk about it then in terms of the issues. Uh, do you want to start with language then? So you yeah. talk about frequency. What's frequency? Well, that's a good question, and it, um, it varies between films. It's, um, it's not just the frequency, but it's also the tone that's used, say, if language is very aggressively used, or it's male to female. So strong or directed language, that would be more of an issue than if we had, say, la strong language that was muttered under the breath, or wasn't really directed at anyone in particular. Say someone's frustrated, and they're just sort of muttering it to themselves. Sort of casual conversational use. Yeah, absolutely. I do think, of course, the frequency argument comes into play, and we'll talk numbers in just a moment, although it does get a little bit complicated, that area. I think there is an interesting area here which I discuss with people, which is if you have an aggressive use mm. of, say, the F word, yeah. you're right, it has a strong impact, and we treat it like that. If you have several casual uses of it, mm. you could argue, and we do argue most of the time, that um, they're softer, they have less impact, you're more likely at those borderline areas to get away with that. Mm. That's certainly advice that we give to filmmakers through our guidelines. There is an argument that actually those casual uses are normalising the use Absolutely. of the word. Absolutely. You know, if you have a contextually justified use, then 
also if you look into very strong language if we think that a use of very strong language the c word is contextually justified then that's more likely to be fine at 15. yeah whereas if it's not if it's gratuitous say if it was male to female really aggressive it felt very gratuitous then that would be a problem at 15 even if there was only one or two uses uh, when it comes to 12 and 15 and 18 with the f word between 12 and 15 and the c word between 15 and 18 we do count uses as well as taking that context into account and uh, we're not the only people because I noticed an interview with Armando Inucci mm. uh, who produces and writes The Thick of It on BBC One he, yeah. did, uh, he talked about dealing with your old friends in the BBC Compliance Department yeah. you basically got a letter from them saying editorial policy yeah this yeah. is how many C words you can use per episode and across the series and they were limiting it so the BBC take a view that like we do mm. which is that frequency is an issue mm. and people have told us in the extensive public research we do that the C word is still a word that still the taboo yeah it is the taboo word mm. isn't it so talk numbers to me then in a, <laughs> a two-hour film how many uses of the F word at what point are you going from 12 to 15 it's that's a really difficult question because it is as you said it's all taken in, into context so as I've said it could it could be a couple depending on the way they're yeah. delivered but g generally if associated with violence for instance yeah well then it then it to be honest, it could be one or two. If it was associated with violence, and as I've said, directed towards a woman, or sort of help. Are you talking about the C word now? No, I'm talking uh, the about the F word. Oh, we're going up from 12 well, to 15. Well, I don't know. Actually, it's a very similar set of arguments for the, tw the, the F word at 12 and the C word at 15. It is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. But so we might, we might have, um, we have had seven or eight uses of the C word at 15. Uh, varying contexts and we thought that other contextual factors meant that that film was still contained at 15 such as sex drugs and rock and roll yes but we have had um, injury. yeah we've had we've had uh, stand-up shows for example that have gone to 18 for two uses of very strong language because of say a very strong sexualized element to that language yeah and other offenses and other associated issues, with that absolutely so yeah. i'd say there's no hard and fast rule there's, there's certainly a point i suppose where you would start to think even regardless of context you're going to have too many uses of, yeah. of very strong language or strong language but um, yeah I would say it depends on context a lot uh, and another example of context coming into play is Shane Meadows film this is England he asked us to look at it again and this has been uh, talked about in the public domain because mm. he then appealed to district councils and a few did give the film a 15 but we stuck by the 18 but based very much on what the public have told us about the C word and then in that film it it was accompanied with racist violence, strong, strong racist, racist violence, yeah. um, which placed that up. Okay, let's uh, move on to violence. And I suppose we could mention Prometheus at this stage mm. as a film that went into uh, to 15, um, primarily because of violence and gore. I think there were only a couple of uses, one, one clear use of the F word. Yeah, yeah, one in five use. Yeah, that was a um, film long awaited and um, certainly I think a film that fans have thought for a long time would it in America be a PG-13 or an R and here a 12A or a 15. There was a lot of chatter wasn't there before. Well, there was a chatter we talked about this months. on the last podcast at the time of the uh, given that certificate that even the head of Fox was, was asked this question on the red carpet wasn't it? People were interested to know Absolutely. where it was going to go. People really wanted to know and um, yeah in the, in the end um, yeah it went to a 15 and an R in the States um, wasn't cut and um, really just just a couple of scenes really uh, as everyone knows the famous um, cesarean scene and a scene where um, one of the scientists has his arm broken and they're sort of slightly protruding 
bone and some blood. Um, but that was a film that I thought really um, showed perhaps the difficult balance of trying to get from to a PG-13 or an R, and it felt the same way in the language. It felt like they had been trying to do a balancing act as they made it. And in some of the background interviews that are now appearing in the public domain uh, with the cast and crew, uh, it's clear that they did shoot scenes twice to different levels of, uh, of detail. Was um, it red blood and white blood? Red blood, and then they toned it down, yeah. um, depending on it. And there was obviously some uncertainty as to where it was going to go in terms of category, even within the production. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that we talk about, in the guidelines, at 12, in, there should not be an emphasis on injuries and blood. Mm. And I sometimes think films go to 15s because they, they're not 12s. And other films are 15s because they're 15s. So you'll see that's a subtle difference. Yes, but for me, this is probably a film that's not a 12. I think so, yeah. Another film, um, it's interesting you make the dis uh, distinction there between 12 and 15. Safe House is an interesting film because uh, that um, film with Ryan Reynolds and Denzel Washington uh, set in South Africa where Ryan Reynolds is this frustrated uh, agent who is, is very bored, he's got nothing to do and then uh, Denzel Washington's character is brought to a safe house and everything goes wrong and Ryan Reynolds then has to try and get him across the country safely. And um, that was a film where the violence, very similar to the Bourne, Bourne films where you'd have, there's a fight in a kitchen where, extremely similar to I think the first Bourne where uh, a knife is used and... Uh, the environments being used at kitchen cupboards and everything, uh, people being smashed around and into tables and everything. But it just went a little bit further in terms of detail. So characters uh, fell through a window and a shard of glass was used to stab one of them in the leg. And there's just a more emphasis there on, on bloodshed and bloody injury, whereas you would glimpse it in the Bourne films or pro possibly Casino Royale, a strong 12. Yes. Um, you would see, you saw it more clearly in Safe House, and that was, um, I remember being quite surprised at the time that it looked like it was a PG-13 film, but then you had mo a couple of scenes of violence that were very clearly went beyond that PG-13, 12-8 level. So on that subject, but not about detail, let's talk about threat and sustained threat, which is something else we don't allow at 12 when it can tip a film over. And we've got some examples of films. Disturbia is one that comes to mind. It got a PG-13 in the States but a sustained period of threat in a fairly real-world setting pushed that up to us to 15. And you've got another example there, Graham. Yeah, Cloverfield uh, was a 15 here and a PG-13 in the States, but sustained threat and moderate horror. And um, it was felt that Cloverfield really was a calm before the storm, and once that arrives, then it's constant. And, uh, characters are constantly in danger, and really the sense of threat throughout, you, even as you go towards the end as well, there's just this sense, is anyone going to get out? And if they do, are they going to be alive? And it's just, it was a constant sense of tension. The, the scenes in the tunnels where there's barely any light and you're watching it through the um, night vision cameras and you'd see the creatures coming towards them. And so it was sort of completely unrelenting. And for that, for us, um, sustained psychological threat and, and terror is not something that would be appropriate at 12 range so it, it goes into 15. An additional factor though, we didn't really take into account in terms of where we placed it, is that some people got, people got motion sickness from Cloverfield. That's right, they? yeah. It's yeah, something that we noticed. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. But equally there, there are some films that um, have had, uh, say Terminator Salvation, the director's cut, that was an R over here and still a 12A as with the theatrical. There was a what over here? 12A. 
You said it was an R over here. No, it was an R in the state. You said it was an R over here. I said an R in the state. Well, I think you've you all have edited that. I've got the Tyler version. I've got the tape. Tyler version. I said here. It was an R in the states on 12 over here. PG 13 theatrically, an R in the states with a tiny bit of nudity and a bit more violence in one scene, but that was still 12A here. Still a 12 here, should I say, and an R in there. Okay, well, that brings us on to sex and nudity. So if you just pop your clothes <laughs> off for this section. Um, what takes a film to 15 then? In terms of sex and nudity? Yes. So, as we've said earlier, I think nudity in a sexualized context would be brief and discreet at 12, whereas at 15, you would have, say, clear sighted breast nudity. Um, you'd have more of the mechanics of sexual activity. Just be full so frontal as well. Thrusting, full frontal, yeah. But no, no strong detail in terms that you wouldn't see erect penises or yeah. genitalia. Well, you can never say never in this building. You can never say never. You could, agree, you could possibly are, see a fleeting penis. There are <laughs> there is such thing as a fleeting penis <laughs> at 15. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's not rule generally, that out. Generally. Generally, yes. Um, and there's no constraints, according to the guidelines, no constraints on nudity in a non-sexual educational context at 15, uh, which is interesting. It's not something that comes up too often. In terms of sex, we talk about sexual activity being portrayed but without strong detail. Mm. And we do allow strong verbal references to sexual yeah. behaviour. Closer, which I think is a film we may have mentioned before on this podcast, it's a few years old now, but it's still probably a, a good one to watch in terms of strong sexual... And very strong uh, language. A strong language, yeah, very strong language and strong sex references. And in terms of sex at 15, um, Monster's Ball is an example of a scene that's you know about as strong as you're going to get at 15 before mm. it goes into 18 and a very important part of the argument in Monsters Ball of course was the uh, context of the story at that point before you get to 18. And yeah. equally we've had uh, films such as Zack and Mary make a porno, porno where the sheer volume of sex references and it's kind of you know pornographic context took it up to 18. Yeah and there's a film which is coming out in uh, in the next few weeks called called For a Good Time Call, uh, which is also got Seth Rogen in it, like Zach and Miri, and similarly has gone to 18 for fairly relentless, strong sexual references. Now, 15 is a commercially, I suppose, a more viable certificate than 18. Mm. The higher up you go, the more restrictive it gets. And there's a, a big scrap quite often for 12A in this country, PG-13 in the States. Mm -hmm. um, 15 also, a film that gets an 18 gets a much more restrictive audience, obviously. And uh, Bruno is a film that comes to mind where they were very keen to get a 15 and we, we worked with them on that. So what happened to Bruno, Graham, um, to bring it down from 18? Bruno, the snipped version, as yeah. it's called, <laughs> uh, was a 15. And there were changes to three scenes. And it was um, to remove the majority of a montage of exaggerated sexual activity between Bruno and his boyfriend, it says here. Bruno comically miming fellatio and analingus as he pretends to have all sex with a deceased person. Yeah. <laughs> you would do it up right into mod sentences. Absolutely. And uh, sex between couples at a swingers party and aggressive sexual dialogue at the same party. So it's been an 18, it's an 18 on video, but theatrically it was, it was a 15. That Wasn't was it co-released theatrically as 18 and 15? It was. It was. I think, I think the snipped one came a little afterwards. Yes, it was rare. I think perhaps Saturday Night Fever is the only one I could remember oh, getting an 18. An 18 was, yeah. PG and 18. I think it's got a lot of categories. PG on video. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, it's really about the detail there, isn't it? About the focus of the Absolutely. scene that went on quite a long time. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen it. the scene in question. You can yeah. never quite forget. And again, kind of similar to Zack and Miri, where he's saying quite a pornographic, yeah. pornographic kind of uh, representation of sexual activity, you could say. Or miming of sexual activity. Pornographic miming, that's a fair Yeah, term. we'll use that as yeah. a pussy word right at yeah. some point. Uh, it's worth saying, if you're a filmmaker, you're working, working in the film industry, that obviously when you submit your film to the BBFC and you don't like the category that comes back, um, there, are, there is a process where you can ask for reconsideration viewing, but I will flag up at this stage that there's perhaps even a more useful process called the advice uh, process where you can submit your film, even if it's not entirely finished, um, for an advice viewing. And that way you get uh, some good advice into what category it's heading for. And if you would like, you'll get some uh, idea of what needs to go from it, uh, for instance, to achieve uh, a different category. Okay, great. Um, 15 is a really important category, I think, in terms of uh, the industry. We've had some big 15 films this year, Prometheus probably being the biggest. Mm. Uh, so thank you very much indeed for having a look at that with us. Oh, you're welcome. Um, we are now going to announce the winner of our competition. You may remember we asked about the black card that was designed by Jason Banger from Berlin, who won that competition, and his black card goes in front of Diary of a Wimpy Kid Dog Days. That was the answer, of course. And congratulations to... Da, 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 can you do a drum roll? Yeah, that's that didn't just, work. That's, that's just banging the table. That's not a drum roll. Oh, well, I haven't got any sticks. All right, easy. Graham Lawson of Huntington yeah, near York. Uh, he has won the goodie bag, which has been dispatched. Congratulations, Graham. Now, I did not know this, Graham. I can tell we had lots of entries, lots of correct entries, as you might expect. Um, so thank you very much if you won. I'm really sorry uh, if your name didn't come out. It was only one winner, which was Graham. And uh, when he emailed to say, oh, thank you very much that he'd won uh, his uh, goodie bag, he said that he actually spoke to me when I went up and gave a talk recently at uh, the York Cinema. Were you nice? I'm always nice. You know that. So would you like this week's question? Absolutely. This is to win more centenary goodies from the BBFC and a BBFC goodie bag. And it is to honour our friend Tony Scott, uh, who sadly has died. This question relates to perhaps his most memorable film, which is Top Gun. And the question is this. The main character in Top Gun is called Maverick, which of course is his call sign, his nickname in the United States Navy. What was his actual character's name? You don't know, you're shaking your head. Shame on you. And if you have to look this up and Google this, you're not allowed to it. You've got to know this. This is the Tony Scott Top Gun fans. So what was Maverick's A little preview of our next podcast, number eight. We're going to be on the delighted stage to do an interview with Rich Bailey, who was asked by the Prime Minister to look into the whole issue of the sexualisation, commercialisation of children. He published a fascinating report the government's currently doing a lot of work on that in the background. We're going to be talking to Rich for the next podcast. I really hope you can join in then, but for now, from me, James Blatch, and from Graham Hill. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. Bruno!